We'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 2 today. It's on page 528 if you're reading from the Pew Bible. The value of wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. <clears throat> for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Thanks, Melody. Good morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, let's change that afterwards. I would love to get the chance to meet you. I feel like I've been gone all summer, just in and out a lot, which is not normal for me and the family, but with some family weddings and other travel that was already baked into the schedule, it's just kind of the way it's fallen out. But we're back, uh, and we're, we are here for... Uh, the rest of the summer, whatever's left of it, and then on into the fall, looking forward to just getting into a regular rhythmic rut with you guys every week uh, here on Sundays, and then also for a community group on Tuesdays, and really looking forward to just getting into some uh, normalcy a little bit. Uh, well, last week, Will Zong led us really well up onto the on-ramp of Proverbs. Uh, I listened this past week on our podcast, and it was a really excellent introduction to this book. Man, there are not a whole lot of sermons that you can find in the world that are preached on the book of Proverbs. It's because it's, it's really challenging to preach. It's a really unique genre of scripture, but Will did a really good job setting up some guideposts for us as we progress through this book, at least for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll probably take a break for a year or 12, I don't know, and then get back to it. But uh, he set us up really well. If you weren't here, do yourself a favor and go give it a listen. Now, the book of Proverbs is like a handbook written especially for parents to help train up their children. There are 22 occurrences of the word father in Proverbs and then 13 occurrences of the word mother in Proverbs. Parents, this would be an excellent book to just slowly work through with your kids through the years over and over and over again. You'll find yourself instructed and rebuked and encouraged along the way too, not just your kids. Even non-Christians 
recognize the importance of laying a solid foundation in the early years of our children's lives and their education. For instance, Walt Disney once said, I think of a child's mind as a blank book. During the first years of his life, much will be written on the pages. The quality of that writing will affect his life profoundly. So parents, what are you writing or what are you allowing to be written on the pages of your children's souls? Proverbs is here to step in uh, and, and help you and provide an excellent tool, uh, a pen as it were, to write on the, 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 uh, the tablet of your children's souls, in your souls. What are Proverbs? Proverbs are general observations about life that help us rightly relate to real-life situations that don't have easy answers, at least on the surface. Here's how Tim Keller describes the purpose of Proverbs. He says, It is written for making the right choice even when there are no clear moral laws telling you explicitly what to do, which is most of life, it feels like. Some decisions require only knowledge, like the proper medicine to take, and some only compliance with rules, like whether to commit adultery or not. But no Bible verse will tell you exactly whom to marry, which job to take, whether to move or stay put, yet a wrong decision can be disastrous. Now, Christians throughout history, and even all the way back to the writers of the New Testaments, have long recognized the importance of the practical wisdom found in this book of Proverbs. The New Testament is chock full of quotes from Proverbs. So when Paul you remember him? He wrote most of the New Testament. When he wanted to talk about humility and unity, where did he turn? He turned to the book of Proverbs. When Peter wanted to write to young churches about how to live life together, where did he turn? Proverbs. When James wanted to address pride in the church, where did he turn? The book of Proverbs. When the author of Hebrews wanted to encourage Christians who were enduring a whole lot of suffering, where did he turn? The book of Proverbs. Jesus himself told a parable in Luke 14 that was woven out of one of the Proverbs. So if you, if we are not spending a great deal of time in this book of Proverbs, you're out of step with the biblical authors and really without, out of step uh, with Christian history. It's just a really practical, really important book to explore and then re-explore all the time. This past week we had a family wedding down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And on one of the days, we went to the Chattanooga Aquarium and we attended their IMAX 3D show. You know the drill with these 3D glasses, right? I'm sure you do. If you put them on, the whole show comes to life and you got like sharks coming right at your face, right? Uh, but if you take those bad boys off, the whole screen is kind of like a little bit squiggly and, and out of focus and it's impossible to get a full grasp of what you're supposed to be experiencing three-dimensionally. The book of Proverbs is like that for us in relation to our lives. They're like the, the lenses that we look through to properly understand our world from God's perspective. Proverbs are like the lenses we put on to understand the world from God's perspective. Now, I tried this week to come up with some really clever names to help us remember this, and I think I failed really horribly, but I'm going to share with you what I came up with, the embarrassing list that I came up with when naming these spectacles that we were supposed to put on. Here's a, a few options. God's goggles, uh, Christ's contacts, the Spirit's spectacles. This is the one I think I'm most proud of. The Trinity's trifocals, <laughs> the Lord's lenses, the Messiah's monocle, the Savior's shades, and the Redeemer's readers. So pick whichever one you want and go with it. Just make sure it's memorable in your mind because this is what the book of Proverbs is for us. 
The call here today is to put them on by reading through this book of Proverbs and making sense of the world through the lenses that it offers. It's one of the only tools that can bring our world into focus, like those 3D glasses, that can help us live well in God's world. That was Will's sort of like street-level definition of wisdom last week, and I think it's a really good one. Wisdom is the ability to do life well in God's world. I should have put your name up there, Will. Will Zong. Wisdom is the ability to do life well in God's world. The book of Proverbs is the ticket to doing life well in God's world. So, so let me ask you a question. What is the single most valuable thing that you have ever lost? Maybe a wallet, a cell phone, a child. Someone in our family who will not be named has a habit of leaving her or his phone in bathrooms when we travel. I'll just say that this has happened at the very least more than once or twice or three times, um, where we have traveled many miles since the last rest stop or a Chick-fil-A, where that terrible sinking feeling seeps in that an iPhone 10 is sitting in some random bathroom stall like three states back, right? It's a bad feeling. Of course, we take the first exit and hightail it back to the Chick-fil-A. And our willingness to trek all the way back to that Chick-fil-A is directly related to how valuable that device is. It's got family pictures on it. It's got important texts on it. And obviously, the full, the full tabulation of all of our Wordle, Hurdle, and Quirtle scores, right? That was a really lame laugh for that. Are we playing Wordle every day? How many of us out there? Wow, it's less than I thought. I'm stumped. I've only tried four uh, options so far this morning, so I got two chances left, and I do not. I mean, the letter that the word ends with makes it very challenging. I don't know if you've done it yet this morning, but anyway. Um, all of those things are on your phone, not to mention like the material value of the phone itself. You know, if we dropped a dollar bill or two on uh, the floor of the bathroom only to realize an hour later, uh, we would probably just keep trucking along to our destination. The value of the dollar isn't worth the pursuit. But Proverbs 2 presents a similar dilemma for us this morning. Will the value of what it offers be enough for you to drop whatever it is that you're doing and pursue it with reckless abandon? To know the answer to that question, we're going to have to appraise the value of what it is that it offers and see if it's worth setting aside some other priorities in our lives to pursue this one thing. So let's look at this together. Solomon, writing for children, you see it there in verse 1, he starts off with my son. Solomon uses a whole bunch of words, I think, that fill out the recipe for wisdom. Look at verse 1, my words, my commands. Verse 2, wisdom, understanding. Verse 3, insight, understanding. I think it's important for us to know, note just, uh, from the jump here that Solomon is basing his authority not on himself, but on God himself. Look down at verse 6, where he attributes his own wisdom to the Lord. Verse 6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. For he knows what Job, he knows, Solomon knows what Job had learned so well about where to even find wisdom. This is from Job 28. I think this is really beautiful. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me, and the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. 
Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight, and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and he declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So the point of all that is if you want to be wise, you're going to have to go to the right source of wisdom. If you want to live life well in God's world, you have to routinely drink from the well of God's word. If you want to live life well in this world, you have to drink routinely from the well of God's word. We all, I think, would agree. I mean, I want to do life well. I'm sure y'all want to do life well, too, as best we can. It's a priority for all of us. And I think verse 4 kind of pictures or encapsulates that priority. It says, seek it. Seek wisdom like silver. Search for it like treasure. More than a lost cell phone. Get after it. So if there is a big idea today, it's something like this. Prioritize living well by prioritizing God's living word. Prioritize living well by prioritizing God's living word. So we'll circle around and around this theme. The first thing we'll see today is the priority of wisdom. See that in verses 1 to 4, the priority of wisdom. Verses 1 to 4 are like a treasure map, a scavenger hunt, if you will. And at the end of that hunt is something well worth you uh, reprioritizing, reorienting your time. I've told some of you this story before, I think, but, but growing up, our family had a really fun Christmas tradition. Our Christmas morning would probably progress like many of your Christmas mornings do, at least uh, in a Christian household. We'd wake up, we'd eat breakfast, and Dad would read the Christmas story from Luke 2, and then we'd open our presents. That's where most of yours probably ended, but not my family's. After that, Mom or Dad would always point out this little three-by-five card that was nestled way back in the Christmas tree. And on that card would be a set of like these really cryptic instructions. They were sending me on a scavenger hunt. And that clue would lead to another clue, which would lead to another. Usually the clue would rhyme in some silly way, maybe something like, Christmas trees are green, violets are blue. If you're really smart, you'll head to the loo. Then I'd go to the bathroom to find the next clue. The annual scavenger hunt led me to all kinds of places, inside the house, outside the house, upstairs, downstairs, into the basement, into the loo. But year after year, it always led me back to the Christmas tree. The trick was that while I was off in pursuit following the the clues in the scavenger hunt, one of my parents would slip back to the Christmas tree unbeknownst to me. And they would place a round box underneath it. It was always round. Then, when I got back to the tree, they'd act like it was there the whole time, like I just missed it the first go around. What do you know? They still do this sometimes. This is still our annual tradition. Um, And it's like, Mom, I'm 40 now. I know that the box was not there the last time I was here. 
Well, in that round box was the ultimate gift for that Christmas, for that year's holiday season. Sometimes it was cash, sometimes something I really wanted, but the whole episode was built to, to build up, to escalate into that moment right there back with the round box. That was the reveal I most look forward to on Christmas mornings growing up. All the other gifts were great, but they all paled in comparison to what was coming. Well, the buildup in verses 1 to 4 is meant to create that same sense of uh, momentum in you. The intensification is just growing until you get to that spot on the map that marks the treasure. Look at how intense the call is here. Start in verse 1 and just follow with me. Receive it. Treasure it. Be attentive to it. Incline your heart to it. Call out for it. Raise your voice for it. Seek it. Search for it. These are the conditions for getting wisdom. You want to be wise? You want to do life well in God's world? You're going to have to pursue wisdom like this with reckless abandon. I think there are sort of two groupings in this list. First is this, actively accept God's wisdom. Actively accept God's wisdom. And I get this from receive it, treasure it, be attentive to it, incline your ear to it, actively accept it. What is it in your life that you are receiving, that you are treasuring, that you're paying attention to, that you're inclining your heart and really your ears to? What is it that you most incline your ears to? If searching for treasure is the sort of the, the governing, defining analogy here, then for some of us, you think that there is so much treasure to be found in scrolling through social media or in watching all of our shows on Netflix or in the endless cavern of YouTube or shopping on Facebook Marketplace or whatever it is for you that tends to distract you from what is life-giving. Some of us are more intent on inclining our ears actively accepting the world's wisdom, maybe when we tune into podcasts. You know, Ben Shapiro or Bill Maher or Jake Tapper or, you know, whoever it is in your life that you're tuning into. They've become our functional saviors at some point when, when we are more interested in tapping into their wisdom than we are in tapping into the wisdom from God's word. You know when you show up to a friend's house and you're trying to hop onto their Wi-Fi to save yourself some data. Uh, I guess most of us probably have unlimited data now, but some of us don't. Um, you open up that little screen on your phone that shows you all of the various networks that you can log into, but only one of those networks are going to be accessible to you and beneficial for you. Some of us need to recalibrate to what is going to be of actual eternal consequence for us. What are you listening to more than Jesus? What has more influence over you than he does? Whoever that thing is, whoever that person is, whatever it is, man, log off. Log off and log on to what is life-giving. As we walk the dangerous roads of this world and this life, there are so many voices that are vying for our attention. They want us to log on to their network, begging us to. We need to recall a concept when we're faced with these choices, the various voices to listen to. Recall this. What makes something true is not whether it is new or old or affirming or offensive, but whether it lines up with God's wisdom and God's word. 
And I hate to tell you this, but that right there is super offensive in our world right now. Very controversial, but it is no less true. So here's a good question for all of us related to what we're routinely receiving, hearing, treasuring, inclining our hearts to. Ask yourself this. What voices are most influential in my life right now? What voices are most influential in your life right now? What Solomon is saying here is to go after what is, of incred- what is of incredible value. It's like silver, like a hidden treasure. Put on wisdom's spectacles and reject all the other posers. But now Solomon turns the heat up a little bit. Not only are we called to actively accept God's wisdom, next here we're called to go on the hunt for wisdom. He says, call out for it, raise your voice for it, seek it, search for it. So next is aggressively pursue God's wisdom. Actively accept it and then aggressively pursue it. This implies, I think, that there aren't just like these 3D goggles laying all around for us to just pick up uh, with easy access. You're going to have to expend effort if you want to live well in God's world. Great effort and great sacrifice. Like you would exhaust all effort if you were going after this hidden treasure. And this is how seriously Jesus calls upon us to go after the wisdom of his kingdom. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We were willing to waste gas and time and money to go back for that phone. What are you willing to leave behind to get after the treasure of God's word and God's wisdom? If you're really floundering in your life right now, when it comes to your, the coolness in your heart for the Lord, it has gone cold. Consider these words from Proverbs 2 and get on the treasure hunt. You will not be disappointed in the end. Aggressively pursue God's wisdom. Refuse to let up on your daily reading. Refuse to constantly scroll Memorize scripture. Don't pretend like that is only for kids. I mean, let's really act like Jesus calls us to. Like there is a treasure to be found and that it will satisfy us to the very bottom of us. How are you doing with this? Ask yourself, what rhythms are most prominent in my life right now? What rhythms are most prominent in my life right now? Ask yourself, what voices are most influential and that what rhythms are most prominent? So what is the point of this aggressive pursuit? I think verses 5 and 6 tell us. So there are four ifs in verses 1 to 4, but we finally get the payoff in verse 5. And then even more payoff in verse 9. So verses 1 to 4, you can follow along. If you receive, and if you treasure, and if you're attentive, and if you incline your ear, and if you call out, and if you raise your voice, and if you seek it like silver, and if you search for it like hidden treasure, if you do all these things, conditional. If you do all those things, then verse 5 will happen. Look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then verse 9 will happen. Look at it. Verse 9. Then you will righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. The two key results of your acceptance and then pursuit of God's wisdom are A, knowing God, and B, knowing how to apply that knowledge about God. That's wisdom. Know God, and then know how to apply that wisdom about him to live your real life, to live life well in God's world. So these two things Solomon says 
will protect you. Look at verse 7. He says, uh, the knowledge of God and knowing how to apply that knowledge. Verse 7, this is a shield. Verse 8, this is a guard. Verse 11, they watch over and guard you. Verses 12 and 16, they deliver you. So second this morning, let's talk about the protection of wisdom. We had the priority of it, get after it. And now why get after it? Because it provides protection for us. Knowing the giver of wisdom protects us, verses 5 to 8, and practicing the wisdom of the giver protects us, verses 9 through verse 118. That was a typo. There's not 118 verses in there. Um, a long chapter. Um, but what does it protect us from? First, selfish living. Let's get that 118 off the screen as quickly as possible. It protects us from selfish living. Look at verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. So righteousness, justice, we hear a lot about that, right? Social justice, equity and equality. We hear lots about that in our world today. All of these words have a strong social sense about them. Our vertical relationship with God and his wisdom affect our horizontal relationships with those around us. Bruce Waltke, who is a, a commentator on Proverbs, he says this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. The righteous say about their stuff, man, everything I have comes from God in the first place. So much of what I have is here for me to use to the advantage of my neighbor. The wicked say, it's my stuff, it's my life, and I'll do with it what I want. But God's wisdom protects us protects us from wasting our lives in this way with selfish living. God's wisdom says, what do you have that you did not receive? Why then are you selfish with your stuff and with your time? Give generously to the mission of your church. Provide generously for those who are needy around you. Correct injustice when you see it, whether it's in your home between kids, parents, let's not get lazy with this. Let's act justly with our kids. Correct injustice when you see it injustice when you see it in your home or on the streets or in the ballot box. God's wisdom protects us from selfish living, but also from sinful choices. There are two kinds of sins that God's wisdom will protect us from. Men with perverse lips and women with perverse intentions. I think the more we imbibe God's wisdom and put on wisdom's spectacles, the more we will be able to see the reality behind these kinds of temptations that assault us every day and confuse us and deceive us. Can you feel the pull of the world right now tugging on you to give up the Bible's sexual ethic? I can feel the pull. Can you feel the pull of the world tugging on you to give up the Bible's stance on life and abortion or its perspective of marriage? As you feel that tug, just know that there is a solution. Come to your protection and hide behind the one who knows all things because he set up the world in the first place and he knows how it should operate. Will encouraged us last week to not go against the grain of scripture, but to go with it because God set it up in the first place and he knows the best way for it to operate. It is not for us to go against the grain of God's good design. When you're feeling vulnerable on these issues, like we probably all are, hide behind the shield of this book. Hide behind it. 
get to the safe place of God's protective wisdom. Some of us here are consistently tempted. So those were the men uh, with, uh, uh, what did I say? Perverse lips, there it is, perverse lips that are trying to deceive us in their direction. Some of us are tempted to sin sexually too. Some of us are uh, consistently tempted towards sexual sin, pornography, illicit relationships, flirting with that person at the office. We're tempted to think that that person or that image is going to take us into heaven. But put on the spectacles of verses 18 and 19 and you can see through it. You can see through the mirage and through the lie about where it will really take you. Look at verse 18. For her house sinks down into death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. It's a serious consequence that God's wisdom, if you keep putting them on, is going to help you see through that. God's wisdom will protect you from falling prey to temptation. Putting on wisdom spectacles will transform a murky situation, like taking off the 3D glasses and you can't quite tell what's going on. It will transform that murky situation into a clear one. You'll know what the consequences are. When temptation comes, look at that temptation through the lens of God's wisdom. It will help you see to the other side of those choices and realize, help you realize, that though there is pleasure for a moment, yes, there is pleasure for a moment, the end of that path is death. It was R.C. Sproul who said, sin can bring pleasure, but never happiness. This is the real time, real value of Proverbs, I think. Helping us see through the mirage of temporary pleasure to satisfyingly true happiness. And I do think this is a really good time to remind ourselves. God is not a because I said so kind of God. He's not. He wants the absolute best for you. More than that, he knows what's best for you. His instructions prevent harm, not happiness. Your car manual doesn't tell you how to maintain your car to make you miserable, though it could feel like it. It instructs you to make life easier on you, even if it requires you to spend more money and more time than you want to have to spend. Following the instructions in that manual will save you more time and money in the long run. God is not a no monster. He's a loving, caring shepherd who wants the best for us, even if we don't understand in the moment, in our cultural moment. So when he provides ethical instruction, horizontal, how we interact with one another, it is not for us to bicker about it or argue with it. It's for us to trust the one who made us and knows what's best for us. And that this is the manual that is given to us for our joy and benefit. And in the long run, it might cost you a little bit more to pursue it, but it's going to save you so much more. God wants for us to maximize our human experience. It's why he gave us the book of Proverbs. So when it references money, we listen to it, not the world. When it references sex, we listen to it and not the world. When it references relationships, we listen to it and not the world. To gain maximum benefit from the wisdom of Proverbs, we must acknowledge and submit to the God who causes the world to work in the way that it does, even if we don't fully comprehend it and sometimes don't fully comprehend the why behind it. The world's wisdom cannot offer you a treasure at the end. 
It is a dead end every time. Only God's wisdom can offer you that priceless treasure at the end. And that's where we will wrap this up today. The true treasure at the end of the hunt is no other than Jesus Christ himself. If we find this treasure, all the world and its clever seductions will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and wisdom. So third, the personification of wisdom. The personification of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is itself, we know this, just a chapter in the larger book, the whole of God's word. The sort of chapter of Proverbs, not Proverbs 2, but the whole book, the chapter of Proverbs contributes to the whole of the book. For example, if you were to take, I don't know, chapter 27 of your favorite novel that is sitting on your shelf at home right now, whatever that might be, your favorite novel, and you were to pick chapter 27 and try to extract the whole story of the book merely from the content in that chapter, I think you could probably pick up on some clues about the plot lines and the, the characters and what's going on in there, but you wouldn't be able to understand the whole meaning. The same is true with Proverbs. It can be understood to a large degree on its own, but it is best understood in the context of the whole book. The story of the whole book is that humanity, we, marred God's good creation through sin. We marred it through sin and that humanity needs redemption. That's kind of the whole overarching theme of God's story, God's word. Well, Proverbs swoops in to tell us how to make the most of a rough situation. Sin through sand in the gears of our world and it doesn't operate or work right. And wisdom in Proverbs helps us navigate that reality. But humanity wants more, don't we? We don't just want to eat by. In the end, we're not content to just make the most of a really dark situation. We want resolution. We want and need redemption. Tim Keller says, if God had given us a hundred volume set of rules for every situation, we would have relied on the book and our diligence, our hard work to figure it out. But when we see that what wisdom truly is, we will be driven to look to Jesus, of whom it was said, what is this wisdom that has been given him? Driven to Jesus. I love that. I have felt my heart driven to Jesus the past week. And what do we find there on that last stop as a, of the scavenger hunt, as it were? You're back to the tree. We find Jesus. Colossians 2. Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus lived the perfectly wise life. He's the ultimate one who lived life well in God's world. Jesus is the embodiment of Proverbs. Proverbs is talking about Jesus. Jesus shows us how a human being should live life as God intended. In Jesus, we see what it means in real time for a human being to live wisely. One application of this sermon could just be to read the Gospels over and over and over again, and you will see Proverbs in real life. In the New Testament, we find that Jesus not only demonstrates the wise life, he doesn't just show us what it means to live wisely, he is wisdom itself. 1 Corinthians 1, to those who are called, Christ is the power of God, and Christ is the wisdom of God. 
but it's even better than this. Jesus is wisdom, but that alone isn't the best news for us. This is good news, but not the best news. Thankfully, in 1 Corinthians, Paul wasn't done. He continues in that same chapter down in verse 30. Christ Jesus not only is wisdom, he became wisdom to us, became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So when Paul says that Christ became to us the wisdom from God, this is even better than it sounds. The bad news is that God will not allow any sin to mar his heaven. You can't get in with sin in your heart. Anything less than the perfectly wise life will not make it in. And ain't nobody in here has lived the perfectly wise life. So when you breathe your last, you're not getting in on account of your wise performance. That's really rough news. That's why Paul here, what, what he says here is so transformational. Jesus became wisdom in our place. Jesus is essentially Proverbs personified. He has lived the Proverbs life to its fullest degree, something you and I could never hope to do. The transformation happens when we realize that Jesus became our wisdom. Now by God's grace, now by God's grace, we do not have to perfectly fulfill the book of Proverbs in order to gain eternal life or to catch God's eye with our good behavior. Jesus is the only one who ever did and ever could catch God's eye and attention with his good behavior. His perfect behavior is wise behavior. Proverbs is not merely a book of moralistic demands devoid of Jesus Christ. Proverbs is Christ. It is the very representation of the behavior of Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that in his death, Jesus took our foolishness and he paid for it. And at the same time, he offered us wise and righteous robes to all who'd come to him by faith. So that's a crazy exchange. When Jesus mounts the cross in real time, he is becoming our foolishness and suffering the penalty for that foolishness. And at the same time, all of us by faith can access his righteousness, his wisdom. And so he dies for our foolishness and we get the robes of his wisdom so that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' wisdom and not our foolishness. Therefore, Proverbs will best be understood and read in the light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, out of this acceptance that has been granted to us by Jesus' wise life, we ought to still live out the realities of Proverbs. Just because it's done for us doesn't mean that God isn't calling us to something here. We ought to put these spectacles on daily. So I'm just going to give you two very brief points of application, and then we'll go. First, disrupt unhealthy rhythms and pursue healthy ones. Disrupt whatever unhealthy rhythms you have in your life right now. Think of, just think of one this morning. It's different for everyone in here. All of us have unhealthy rhythms. And determine to replace that pursuit of treasure with a superior pursuit of the ultimate treasure. So I don't know what it is. An overdependence on scrolling on your phone or an overdependence on shop, you know, whatever it is for you. Determine this week to replace it with your pursuit of a greater treasure. Ask yourself, what rhythms are most prominent in your life right now? Second, destroy foolish relationships and pursue healthy ones. Some of you have adopted the world's wisdom in some relationships. 
can I re- uh, encourage you to reevaluate your allegiances? There is safety and protection in God's wisdom. You won't find that with the world. So maybe you have a relationship in your life right now that you know is just is pulling you away from finding life in Jesus Christ. Surrender that. Destroy it. Ask yourself, what voices are most influential in your life right now? What voices are most influential? Well, Kate is going to come for us now. This is a new addition to our gatherings this morning. She's going to pray uh, a prayer of application for us and, and beg God to massage these truths into our hearts, into our souls, that we would live by them uh, and that we would honor God with the way that we walk in wisdom. While Kate is praying, the communion folks can come up and the band as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for opening your word to us. We thank you for Proverbs, and we thank you for the ways that you have stirred our affections for you through hearing your word preached. And um, you know that when we sit here, we have great hopes and um, great desire to do what you've called us to do, but we often forget and we often forget on when we go home after lunch and we often forget on monday and tuesday and the days that follow but we want to be wise in these ways and i pray that you would help us to seek wisdom like a treasure and that we would treasure it more than the things of this world i pray that you would turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and that you give us life in your ways, give us life in your word, give us wisdom to live well in this world, and um, help us just to do the things that you've called us to do because you know our frame, you know that we're weak, but we desire to live well in your world, and we um, acknowledge that this is your world. So please help us to do that, and we thank you for Jesus, who was perfectly wisdom, um, and who was wisdom in our place, and that that is what you see when you look at us, um, is his, all of his right choices and all of his um, knowledge. So help us today, help us tomorrow, and help us to be wise and to honor you. Amen. Thank you, Kate.